Thank you for tuning in to the best parenting show on the internet. Post Daily Dose. Hey, good evening, Facebook family. Welcome to another episode of Post Daily Dose with me, your trusted parenting advisor, faithful guide, and servant on the healing journey. What's my name? Big Papa Brian Post. Hope everyone's doing fantastic on this terrific Thursday. And I hope you have had a relatively peaceful day. So, a couple of things. One of the things I'm going to talk about tonight's episode, we're going to talk about where to start when facing a challenging behavior and why. Hello there, Mimi. And so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do this. It's almost it kind of it feels it feels very basic to me, but it's also very important. And I think we miss it time and time again. And I had a situation with a family come up and some of my coaches yesterday evening, which makes me think about this. But then I also want to tie that into what I have been, what I, when I talked about a week ago, when I did the parenting in the age of Corona, you know, what was I saying to you guys? I was saying that this period of time with all of this familial closeness is like recreating the familial womb and the familial womb, you know, it's, it's not just, just the womb experience of when we were infants. It's like the, the closeness of our families of origin when we were, when we were small children and for our children, for our adopted children, the, the, um, the, the, the recreation of the womb, you know, that, that they may have gone in because of the intimacy, because of the closeness. And I was talking to a couple of my parents last night and I mean, it was like, so I, we were doing a coaching session and I, you know, I'm like, they're telling me what's going on. And I'm like, you know what I'm feeling? I told them about that because they don't do Facebook. So I told them about my conversation with you guys about the familial womb and creating the, the familial womb. Uh, oh, how merry. Well, I'm glad I'm, I'm able to show up for you. And hello there, Johnny. And uh, hello there, Tim. So I was, I was telling, telling them about that conversation about the parenting in the age of coronavirus and how we have an opportunity to recreate the familial womb, which gives us an opportunity to heal some really deep um, blueprints that may need to be restructured. It's like those foundation, those housing foundation commercials. When you have, you know, when your foundation of your house has has dropped in the cracks in the walls, and you call the foundation company in Oklahoma, it's Barry Switzer. Everyone knows who Barry Switzer is. A world famous Hall of Fame football coach was the coach of the Oklahoma Sooners for so many years. When I was growing up, well, he's got this foundation company where he goes in and they they prop up the, the foundation. And what it does is it takes the crack and it straightens it. Well, when you're recreating the familial womb, it's like going in and jacking up the foundation and trying to straighten those cracks. And I feel like that's what we have an opportunity to do with ourselves as parents, but also with our children and the things they've gone through. So I'm talking to these parents last night and I'm like, you know, guys, I'm hearing something. I'm hearing it. Keep talking to me. Uh, something's missing. Something's missing. And then I'm like, oh, you know, we're talking about one thing. We're talking about mom, you know, being feeling disrespected because the dad and the son are getting in. They're both school teachers getting in her space when she's trying to teach. And she's feeling disrespected. And then dad's feeling like she's shaming him because her reactions are too over the top. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. We're talking about 
one thing on the surface level, but this is coming from a much deeper place. And so I happened to flip back through a couple of my notes and I'm like, oh, when dad was little, he felt a lot of shame. When mom was little, she had a big trauma in her life, caused her to be have to be hyper-responsible and not feel like she could talk to anyone about her overwhelm. And it was like, boom, boom, boom. So I left them with a couple of assignments. And one of those assignments was for, for one parent to share with the other parent in an intimate way, in a deep way, in a connected way, exactly what that experience was like for them as a child. And for each parent to do that for themselves and then for them to talk about how that same experience for them as children get stirred up with their adolescent son when he says something or does something that they don't like. That was their assignment. The whole process being to make them more aware and more conscious of their triggers and the root of those triggers. And so tonight, when we talk about, for tonight's episode, when I start talking about where to start with problem behaviors and why you have to, who know, who can tell me? Where do you start when your child's having a problem behavior? Who can answer that for me? Ah, Johnny, Johnny already, Johnny, Johnny, she's already like ahead of, what are you doing? Did you get the notes? Did you look on the teacher's desk before class and read the notes of the day? Johnny says, healing our own wounds first. Yes. Where do you start with your child's problem behaviors? You start with yourself. You start with the awareness of yourself. Let me give you guys something really simple. And I think I've done three different podcasts, interviewed on three different podcasts this week. So I'm going to be sharing these with you guys as soon as they send me the links. I'll drop them there with you. But it's so interesting because it's, you know, sometimes even these interviewers that I interview, you know, they ask me, they ask me like, well, well, give me something that you can give me something. Tell, tell us something parents can do. And, and one of the first things I'll always say is, Parents have to be able to stop and breathe. You have to stop and breathe. The thing you have to do when your child is having a problem behavior is you have to stop and breathe. You have to stop and breathe. Why do you have to stop and breathe? Because when you get stressed, you start holding your breath. And when you start holding your breath, Cortisol starts to surge and it overwhelms your hippocampus, your pituitary, your hippocampus. It shuts down your hippocampus. Your thinking becomes confused and distorted. Your short-term memory is suppressed and you can't think clearly in the moment. You have to start with self. And I had, I had one interviewer. I was like, "Okay, well, that's a good one. Well, let's give us let's give him one more." I'm like, "No, no, no! You didn't hear that. It's so simple. It's so simple that all we want to do is we want to foo foo it and shoo shoo it." And I have coaches. I have to teach this to. I have parents to teach this to. I have to remind myself constantly. It is the place to start. It is always the place to start. I just heard one of you. One of you just said, well, what do you do after that? No, 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 no. 
no, we're not going to go rushing down that rabbit hole. The hamster's already on your will and your mind. You want to breathe right past your own process, and you immediately want to start focusing on your child. You know what's happening? Your amygdala is taking over. Your amygdala is saying, threat, 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 threat. Control, control, suppress, suppress, change, change. Your amygdala wants you to feel safe. And you have to turn it down. You have to turn it down. You have to turn it down. And you start that process by breathing. Breathing. Your child is having an issue. Breathe, 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 breathe. And guess what? You actually may not even say or do anything. You may not say or do anything. 70% of the time, I'm going to estimate, potentially 80% of the time, it is your actions towards your child in the midst of a behavioral situation that intensifies the situation and it's what usually causes the disaster. At least 70% of the time, maybe 80. I don't like 70. Let's go with 80. 80% of the time, it is your reaction to your child that is intensifying the energy in the experience between the two of you. It's putting you in a place to where you can you cannot co-regulate and that is what is leading to the outcome that is so frustrating and so overwhelming. You have when when that little when that little something is losing his mind First thing you've got to do is breathe. When he's yelling at you, when he's talking back, when she doesn't want to go get in a shower, and she doesn't want to go 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 make up her bed and do all these other things. When they say they're going to walk out the door, the first thing you've got to do is stop and breathe. The second thing you've got to do is breathe. The third thing you've got to do is breathe because the breathing puts your thinking online, it turns your short-term memory on, and the fourth thing you have to remember when you turn that short-term memory on is no one's going to die. Let me say that again. The fourth thing, the fourth thing, number one is breathe, number two is breathe, number three is breathe. The fourth thing is remember nobody's going to die. Nobody's going to die. What you think is so serious is probably not that freaking serious. Chill out. Step back. Look at the situation. Think to yourself. My child is stressed and scared right now. What can I do to help them feel calm? Well, it's one thing I can do to help them feel calm. And that one thing you might need to do is... And then... Zip it, lock it up, and throw away the key. Don't say anything and let it be... Let it be, let it be, let it be. Is that John Lennon? I'm not real familiar with John Lennon's songs, but I think that's let it be. Let it be. And then wait. And then wait. 
then wait. Now, what if the waiting isn't helping and your child is coming at you? They're coming at you. They want you to engage. What's the first thing you got to do? Doesn't change. Breathe. 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 Number four, remember no one's going to die. Look at your child and say, you're okay. We're okay. We're okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You got to do those four things. See, remembering I'm not going to die, remembering no one's going to die, just turns into you're okay. That's all it turns into. That's where you have to start. Some And I remember the first time I said this, this was in a camp because I still remember uh, one of the parents, two of the parents that were there. Jay, Jay was a real cool dude. And his wife, oh, and I'm going back. I'm probably going back 17 years. Jay and his wife, can't they, they're from Michigan. And I said, sometimes the best thing to do is nothing at all. No thing. Because sometimes doing no thing is doing everything. And Jay said, don't you have to do something? And I said, no. Listen to what I'm saying. Sometimes doing no thing is doing everything. So actually the doing no thing is actually the something. Because when you do the no thing and you focus on breathing and you focus on keeping your, 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 body, your body language down, and you focus on getting your, your thinking clear. You focus on getting your short-term memory active. And then when your short-term memory is active, then you can remember. And I, I was just waiting for this. Mary says, but what if it's an older child actually putting smaller children in danger, like throwing things at them? Just corral them into the other room. Corral them into the other room. Don't say anything to the older child who's throwing things. Look at them after you've done your breathing. After you've done your breathing. Because what happens, see what happens is they don't just start throwing stuff. And if they do start just start throwing stuff, they don't start throwing big stuff. Until it starts to escalate. And I almost want to guarantee they don't just start throwing stuff without there being some signals. Without there being some indicators. Go back and listen to the A to Z principle. When do you start breathing? At what point do you start breathing? Because the sooner you start breathing, the quicker your short-term memory comes on. Because see, this is what we want to do. When we stop breathing, when we start holding our breath and our thinking gets confused and distorted, our short-term memory starts starts to shut down. The first thing we do is stop throwing stuff. You're going to hurt your little brother and your sister. You stop that. Stop that. Stop doing that. And then what does that cause? Escalation, escalation, escalation. Before you know it, everyone's screaming. Everyone's crying. You're in the middle. You're going, oh, my God, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. I saw a good one. Saw a good one. I'm not going to let that go. I'm going to come back to that, Aaron. I'm not going to let that get away. 
When you can stop and breathe, when you can start training yourself in times of stress to breathe, when you can start training yourself, getting yourself conditioned, getting yourself conditioned, always start with yourself, always come back to yourself. You have to practice because the first thing we do when we become stressed is we start holding our breath. As soon as that happens, our thinking starts to get jacked up. Then you can't hear the signals anymore, okay? Because what will oftentimes happen is that older child tosses that one little thing at the other, at the smaller children. Sometimes that causes us to flip our amygdala. And then we're right, you know, we say, hey, stop that. Stop that as a threat. It's a threat. If the older child tosses something, whether it's a comb, a pillow, a toy, or whatever, at the younger one, guess that's what they're, what they're already telling you. They're already telling you they're probably a little bit stressed. So stop it is not regulating the child. It's not co-regulating the child. It's not attending to the child. It's not meeting the child's need. See, if they, if they throw something and you do nothing at all, you take some deep breaths, you take some deep breaths, you get yourself calm, and you stand up. Maybe they throw a little something else, but you haven't said anything yet. You stand up and you just walk over to them, and maybe you just rub their back. And then maybe you get close enough to where you say, honey, in there, honey, please don't do that. And then maybe they're, maybe they're already escalated, so then they move away from you. And then what you do, there's a couple things you could do. You could go ahead and walk, walk, like walk away. Like now you're not going to attend to it at all, but you're still, you're still being aware. You're still being alert. Or you could wait and say, hey, what's going, what's wrong? Now, guess what you've just accomplished? They've probably stopped throwing already. Because who's getting the regulation now at this point? They are. Children don't act out for attention. Children act out because they need attention. But you can't give a stressed out child attention if you are stressed out. Children don't act out for attention. They act out because they need attention. But you can't give a stressed out child attention if you are stressed out. Go back three episodes. I talked about walking on eggshells. Aaron says, you have to try to schedule them from the others, seclude them from the others. Mary, I know how you feel. We have seven kids. There you go. Better, better that. You got all those kids. You got to practice containment, right? But you also have to be aware of the window of tolerance. Peer physiology is the same physiology as stress. Peer physiology is the same physiology as stress. So if you have a bunch of kids, and I work with a lot of families who have a bunch of kids, I mean, bunch of kids, you got to realize that playing with their brothers and their sisters is the equivalent of being stressed. And the whole time, they're using their window of tolerance. Their window of tolerance is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. The key is, when do you start to become aware that the window of tolerance is getting smaller. See, that's the key. When you can see, oh, what, what makes our ability to be aware of the window of tolerance possible? What makes our ability to pay attention to the signals and the cues they're giving us possible? What makes it possible? Our ability to breathe and stay present. If we're not present, our own window of tolerance is getting small. 
And when our own window of tolerance is getting small and our children's window of tolerance is getting small, guess what? Everyone's in survival. And when everyone is in survival, everyone is stressed. And when everyone is in survival and everyone is stressed, guess what? No one's connected. And so your child, who's the most sensitive, the most easily overwhelmed, is stressed, in survival, needing your connection, and you can't connect. When facing a challenging situation with your child, the place to start is with you. Because you have the power. You have the power. You have the power to reduce cortisol. You have the, the power to turn on oxytocin. You have the power to create safety and security. And you have the power to generate more love in your home. Hope that's helpful. Remember, in any given situation, we always have two choices. We can continue to react from our same blueprints of stress, fear, and overwhelm. When you're reacting, when you're reacting, when you're reacting, you are operating from your old blueprints. You think it's about a present situation, but it's not. You think it is, but it's not. It's a choice. We have a choice because there are two choices. We can react from those blueprints or we can stop. Slow down. Take three to ten deep breaths and choose love. And I hope you choose love in every possible moment. God bless you. Big Papa loves you. Tomorrow's Friday. I'll see you tomorrow.